Thanks for your company. I'm Dr. Barry Harker, and this is The Bible Teachers. We are continuing the search for certainty with Pastor Danny Malenkoff. This is the 14th program in the series, and it's also the second last. Hello, Danny. G'day, Barry. Danny, what are we going to be doing in this um, penultimate program in your series, The Search for Certainty? Well, today we are continuing on where we left off uh, last week, and we are taking a look at God's final call that he makes to the whole world to come out of confusion, to come out of Babylon, and to follow the Lamb, who is Jesus Christ, and worship Christ in spirit and in truth. So this is a message that everyone needs to hear. Absolutely. It's a worldwide message that goes to the whole world that prepares the world for the coming of Jesus. I look forward to it. God bless you. Thank you. Welcome to The Search for Certainty. Today's topic is entitled God's Final Call. You may have been at the airport, and I'm sure many of you have been to the airport, and you have heard over the loudspeakers, Final call, boarding, final call, boarding. There are individuals who, as we all know, and maybe you have been one of these individuals who have missed their plane, who have missed the final call, and they have come to the gate and it has been too late. The gate has been closed and there was no longer an opportunity to get on that plane. Well, today we want to take a look at God's final call, Revelation's final appeal to this world just before Jesus comes. This is a most important message. They all are very important, but in particular, this message is extremely important for those who are living at the very close of earth's history. And so before we plunge into God's word once again, we need to ask God to send his Holy Spirit that he may open our minds that we may have receiving hearts for the truths that he wants to share with us this day. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your wonderful word. We thank you that your word is indeed a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We live in a world where there, is, there are so many distractions And we ask and pray that now we will focus our minds and our attention on your word and understand what this all-important message is that we need to hear. So as we open your word, open our hearts and our minds, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God has a message for the entire world. And Jesus said, in fact, in Matthew 24, verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. And in the book of Revelation, in chapter 14, we have the gospel that Jesus spoke of in an end time context. There it's referred to as the everlasting gospel in Revelation 14 and verse 6, a message that needs to go, this everlasting gospel that needs to go to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. The first angel's message that we discover in verse 7, God invites us to worship him. It is a call to worship the Creator and to follow God's truth. So in the first angel's message, God gives us His truth. The third angel's message, it's a choice between the truth and the error. Now, interestingly, the second angel's message exposes Satan's deceptions. So let's take a look at this. God's first angel's message gives us the truth, the truth about God and the gospel. The second angel's message provides for us 
the truth concerning Satan's deceptions, how Satan will seek to deceive us. God exposes Satan's deceptions. And the third angel's message is all about choosing. Which message will we choose? Who will we serve? Who will we worship? God or the enemy? Now, in Revelation 14, verse 8, we have these words that describe the second angel's message. Revelation 14 and verse 8. And if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me to Revelation 14 and verse 8. Notice the second angel's message here. This is part of the everlasting gospel. And another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now in Revelation 18, we have some more information concerning Babylon, this city that in, in, in chapter 14 we discover has fallen. Revelation 18 and beginning in verse 1. After these things, I, writes John, saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of a fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Verse 4, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. So here is this passage here that describes Babylon. Now, there is a lot to this passage, and we're going to unpack a lot of these terms. We're going to unpack what Babylon means and what Babylon represents. We're going to unpack what the wine of Babylon is. We're going to take a look at what fornication represents. All these are very, very important messages and important information that God wants us to know. Now, God here says, come out of Babylon, my people. It appears that God's people are found in Babylon. Now, Babylon will be destroyed. How do we know that? If you read in verse 8 of chapter 18, this is what we discover. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day, speaking of the seven last plagues, death and mourning and famine. And she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. And in verse 21, it tells us, Thus with violence, the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. So before Babylon is destroyed, God is inviting his people. Notice, come out of her, my people. So God has his faithful people in Babylon. And before God sends the plagues that will destroy Babylon... And we'll discover what Babylon represents in just a moment. Before God destroys Babylon, he calls his faithful people out of Babylon so that they will not receive the plagues. Instead, that they may follow God's truth, that they may worship the Creator, that they may be faithful to Jesus Christ. Now, we need to ask the all-important question, the million-dollar question. And that is, would God plead for his people to come out of Babylon and then not tell his people what Babylon is? 
Is that how God works? Is that how God operates? Is that what we have discovered? No, we have discovered the exact opposite. In Bible prophecy, when God says do something or don't do something, he makes it absolutely clear, crystal clear, what we ought to be doing or what we ought not to be doing. God revealed to us who the beast is of Revelation chapter 13, that sea beast. God made that absolutely clear. He gave us all the necessary identification marks, and we were able to to determine that that beast power is none other than the Church of Rome. Now, you may be thinking, the Church of Rome? Really? That's not something that I have come up with. That's not something that is new. This is a teaching that has been taught by God's people For centuries, many of the reformers taught that the Church of Rome was the Antichrist of Bible prophecy. The beast of Revelation, the little horn of Daniel chapter 7, individuals such as John Wycliffe, William Tyndale, Martin Luther, Philip Melanchthon, Ulrich Zwingli, Sir Isaac Newton, John Wesley, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, John Bunyan, and even Charles Spurgeon all identified the Church of Rome as the beast of Revelation, the little horn of Daniel chapter 7. And so this is nothing new to us. So God has made it clear. And once again, let us, let us not forget that God here is pinpointing a system. God here is not speaking of individuals. God here is speaking of a system, a system that is not in harmony with God's will, a system that opposes itself against God and his truth, a system that takes away from the prerogatives that belong to God and God alone. God is not against people. God loves people. There are some 1.2 billion uh, Christians that are associated with the Roman Catholic Church. I believe that millions, and only God knows how many, are faithful to God. And God speaks to them as His people. They are part of His people. So let's press on. Having said that, and I just needed to say that once again, I've said that over and over again, but I needed to say that once again, that God exposes a system that is not in harmony with His will rather than individuals who may be part of that system. In John 10, verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. In Revelation 18, God says to his people, Come out of her, my people. And here Jesus says, My sheep or my people, they hear my voice, they know me, and they follow me. So who or what is Babylon? Well, let's take a look at what Revelation chapter 17 tells us. In Revelation chapter 17 and 18, we have Babylon described. In Revelation chapter 17, uh, Babylon is described um, through the symbol of a woman, a harlot, in fact. In Revelation 18, Babylon is described through the image of a city. So the two are identical, and we'll discover that in just a moment. So let's begin in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. 
So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Verse 6, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Now, who is this woman that is described here in such great detail? We do not have to guess. We don't have to guess. Revelation gives us the answer. Don't you love that? You don't need to uh, guess. You don't need to go to the Internet. You don't need to go to the thousands and millions of websites that um, share all sorts of information, more often than not contradictory information. The Bible tells us the Bible has not only all the symbols of Bible prophecy that we need, but it has the key to unlock every symbol. And so how do we unlock this key regarding this woman? Verse 18, chapter 17 and verse 18, it tells us, And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. What is that great city? Well, we've already read about it. That great city is Babylon, the one that reigns over all the world, all the inhabitants of the world. So this woman is the same as this great city, Babylon. Now, let's discover what does a woman represent in Bible prophecy. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 2. I have likened the daughter of Zion to a lovely and delicate woman. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 2. Paul writes, I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So here in Jeremiah... And Paul in 2 Corinthians is speaking of the woman as a symbol of the church. That's right. A woman represents the church in the Bible. Now, we have two women in Revelation. We have a pure woman who represents the true church of God. And she is found in Revelation chapter 12. And in our final meeting together, we will unpack uh, what the Bible has to say regarding God's true church or this pure woman that we find in Revelation 12. Now, here in Revelation 17, we find another woman. She is dressed in scarlet and she is a harlot. I refer to her as the scarlet harlot. And she, of course, is the opposite to the pure woman or the true church of God. She is the impure woman or she is the false church. A false woman represents the false church. Now, who is this scarlet harlot? Who is this false church that is referred to as Babylon in the book of Revelation? Once again, we don't have to guess. The Bible gives us all the identification marks to make it absolutely crystal clear. Easy for you and I to discern who the Bible is speaking of when it speaks of this this harlot in Revelation chapter 17. Verse 3, it tells us, So he carried me away in the spirit of chapter 17, I'm reading, into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, 
which was full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. So here is this woman. She is riding this beast, uh, this animal that has seven heads and ten horns. In other words, the woman or this church is in charge of or is, is the one leading the way, has authority over the beast or, or, or over this uh, nation, as we will discover, over this kingdom. Verse 7, let's keep going. But the angel said to me, this is Revelation chapter 17, but the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and ten horns. Okay, verse 9. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Seven mountains upon which the woman sits. In other words, this woman or this church resides in a place in a place, in a kingdom that is described as being seven mountains, okay, a city built on seven mountains. There is only one city in the world that meets this description, and that is the city of Rome. Rome is known as the city that is built on seven hills. Now, let's ask the question, what worldwide church has its headquarters in the city of Rome? Well, that's a no-brainer. We all know the city of Rome has one prominent religious institution that finds its seat there, and that is none other than the Roman church state or the Roman Catholic church. You'll remember from previous presentations that um, when... Constantine moved his uh, seat from Rome to Constantinople, that void, that vacuum that was left by the emperors of Rome in Rome was filled by the church of Rome. So the Roman church pushed itself into the place of the Roman world empire and it continues to lead and guide the world from this very place. So, so far from Revelation 17, we have discovered that the church of Rome, which is represented by Babylon, which is represented by this woman, this harlot woman, she is an unfaithful church. She is a harlot. That's what harlotry represents in, in Bible prophecy. It represents unfaithfulness to God. We've discovered that she persecutes the people of God. In verse 6, we are told, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs. Has the church of Rome persecuted God's people down through the centuries? Absolutely. Absolutely. Has it been unfaithful to God and his word? Absolutely. It describes the church of Rome as one who commits blasphemy against God, a number of it. On a number of occasions, the word blasphemy appears. In verse 3 of chapter 17, it appears having names of blasphemy. What is blasphemy against God? It's, it's taking the prerogatives that belong to God and God alone, claiming the power and the authority to forgive sins, which belongs to God alone, and also claiming the power to be God, which is blasphemy against God. And the church does both. Abominations. What are abominations? Well, abominations 
appear a number of times in the Bible. I did a search and I came up with that word abomination or abominations or abominable. Those three words appear more than 150 times throughout the Bible, a number of times in Revelation. And when you look up the word abomination or, or its, or its, um, or its uh, other words, abominations or abominable, you will discover that each time God is speaking of something that he hates and despises, he refers to it as an abomination or abominations or it being abominable. The most grotesque sins in the Bible are referred to in this manner. You have a look at these words in your concordance. Have a look at where those words appear and in what scriptures, and you will discover the truth about this all-important word. It tells us that Babylon also represents spiritual fornication. We read that in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 2, that the kings of the earth committed fornication. In chapter 18 and verse 3, also there we discover that all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So what does fornication represent in Bible prophecy? Well, we know what fornication is, or you may not know what it is. Look it up in the dictionary. But fornication is simply an illicit union. Now, as far as spiritual fornication is concerned, this is how the Bible just defines it. James chapter 4, verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So spiritual fornication is when the church of God unites with the world. That is spiritual fornication. As far as God is concerned, you become an adulterer or an adulteress when you take up friendship with the world. In the true church system, the church is united with Jesus Christ and his word and his truth. In the fallen church system, the church is united with the state. Has that taken place down through the centuries? Absolutely. You'll remember that the Jews, the Jewish leadership during the time of Christ, united with the Roman authorities in order to put Christ on the cross. Spiritual adultery or fornication is when church and state come together, when the church and politics come together. That is taking place today, and we'll take a brief look at that a little later on. How widespread is Babylon's influence? Well, in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 5, we've discovered already that, that um, the kings of the earth have committed fornication with this woman. And so it's speaking of the political and the religious coming together. But in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 5, we have this very interesting description. Notice what is written on the forehead of this woman. Verse 5, these words, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Notice, this woman is a mother. Now, in order to be a mother, what must you have? That's right, you must have children. To be a mother, you must have children. So the Bible is telling us that the church of Rome has daughters, she has daughters, and those are the daughters that came out of the Protestant Reformation. 
These are the Lutherans, the Methodists, the Baptists, and um, the Anglicans, and so on and so forth. Various churches that came forth during the time of the Reformation who opposed the Church of Rome and its teachings. However, Revelation tells us that these churches that have come out of Babel, that have come out of the Church of Rome during the Reformation have still clung to some of the major doctrines of Mother Church. They have still held on to some of these doctrines that are not found in the Bible. And so the Bible speaks of them as children of their mother, who is a harlot who represents the Church of Rome. And we'll take a look at that and look at that a little more in just a little bit. So how widespread is Babylon's influence? It is spread right throughout the world. And not just, not just as we'll discover, uh, throughout the various Christian churches, but Babylon's influence is spread throughout all of the major world religions. That's right, you heard me correctly. Throughout all of the major world religions. And we will take a look at the reality of that as we unpack the wine of Babylon and and what is in that cup that this woman is giving to all the nations of the earth. It's interesting that Jesus said this gospel or the everlasting gospel will go to every nation, kindred, tongue and people. So God's truth will go to every nation. And at the same time, the counterfeit, this wine of Babylon is being spread and is being shared amongst all the nations. So can you see these two going hand in hand? This is that great controversy between good and evil, truth and error, Satan and Christ. And so that's what it all comes down to in the end. Who will you worship? Who will you give your allegiance to? All the nations are made drunk. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 8 is very clear. Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now, the Church of Rome, via the Pope in particular, is extremely influential today in world politics and in world affairs. You will know that. You watch the news as I do, and you will discover the incredible power, the incredible prestige, and the incredible authority that the Church of Rome has. The pontiff, the pope, he visits country after country after country, and he has Meetings with presidents, with prime ministers, with kings and with queens and with various religious leaders all around the world. If we had time, I would unpack so many instances. One incredible instance that took place in the late 80s um, was when Ronald Reagan, the then president of the United States of America, came together with uh, Pope John Paul II, who was the pope at the time, and they conspired together to bring down communism, to bring communism to its knees and to eradicate communism there in Eastern Europe and Russia and to, and to break down the Soviet Union. And that took place. That was on the front page of Time magazine. 
the pontiff has such great power that he has the authority and he is invited to address the United Nations. Now, you tell me of another religious leader in the world that has the privilege, that has the authority to be able to address the United Nations, to be able to meet with the President of the United States, to have a personal meeting with him, to be able to address both houses of Congress, unprecedented, never, ever taken place in, 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 in the history of the United States and the Vatican. Incredible power. And so the Bible tells us that this church, that this system will have incredible power. And ultimately, one day, the Bible says that all of the world will marvel and follow this power. How will it take place? Well, it'll take place in the context of great uh, trials, great turmoil that will come upon this world. And the Bible talks about a time of trouble such as this world has never seen. That's in the book of Daniel, chapter 12 and verse 4. Now, I'd love to share a lot more on that, but we just don't have time. Just giving you a very brief rundown. There is just so much to share. And, and in the time that we have available, we just simply don't have the time to be able to tap into um, a, a lot of these details that I would just love to share. But anyway, this at least gives us a bit of an idea, a bit of an inkling of, of what the Bible says. And we can see it clearly passing before our very eyes. Now, the question is, how can I know if I am currently in Babylon, because the Bible is clear. If I'm in Babylon, God says, I must come out. I must come out because Babylon will be destroyed. Babylon will receive of God's last seven plagues. And so if I remain in Babylon, I too will be destroyed. I too will partake of her sins. I too will receive of the plagues that are destined to come upon her. So God says, if you're in Babylon, come out of her, my people. Now, how can I know if I am currently in Babylon? The answer is absolutely crystal clear. Before we unpack this all-important question, let's take a short break. And when we come back, we'll answer this all-important question. How can I know if I am currently in Babylon? If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABM Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 612 4973 3456. Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. That is radio at the number 3 ABN Australia, all one word, dot org dot au. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc, PO Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales 2264 Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Welcome back. We concluded the first half of this presentation with that all-important question. How can I know if I am currently in Babylon? If I am currently in Babylon, God is inviting me to come out of Babylon before he destroys 
Babylon. Those who remain in Babylon will be destroyed with her. God does not want you to be lost. God wants you to be saved. God wants you to accept his precious truth. God wants you to be on the side of Jesus Christ and not on the side of the Antichrist. For the Antichrist ultimately, as we've discovered, is a tool of the enemy. The Antichrist is a tool of Satan. And so how can I know if I am currently in Babylon? This is how you can know. You need to ask yourself this all-important question. And you need to, by the grace of God, answer this question truthfully. And that is, does my church that I attend teach one or more of the false teachings of the Church of Rome? Does my church, and not just my Christian church that I attend, but does the religious institution that I am a part of, Maybe you go to a mosque if you're a Muslim. Maybe you're a Hindu. Maybe you're a Buddhist. Maybe you're involved in the New Age. Whatever your religious persuasion is, or you may have no religion, no religious affiliation at all. Whatever the case may be, ask yourself, does what I teach, does what I believe, does what I belong to, the religious institution that I belong to teach one or more of the false teachings of the Church of Rome. If it does, even one, then Jesus says, come out of Babylon, come out of her, my people. So what are the major false teachings of end time Babylon or of the Church of Rome, the papacy that she has offered to the whole world? That are, that are filled in this cup? What is the wine of Babylon? Well, we only, we only have time to look at the major false teachings. There are many, 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 but we don't have time. So we're going to just simply look at six major teachings. Now, what's an abomination? As I have already pointed out, that word abomination or abominations or abominable appears over and over in the Bible some 150 or I think 175 times I may have counted in the, in the King James version of the Bible. An abomination is mixing truth and error. And that's why an abomination is so deadly, because it's the mixing of truth and error. It's not outright error, and it's not truth. It's the mixture of the two, which is so deadly. An abomination is that which God detests and is absolutely despicable in his sight. Take your concordance. I'd encourage you, take your concordance and look up the word abomination or abominations or abominable throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament and notice where that word appears and the context and what God is referring to when he speaks of abominations. Well, let's take a look at six major abominations of Babylon that she has shared with the whole world. Not just with the Christian world, as we'll discover, but with the whole world. Firstly, Babylon represents open rebellion against God. The first time we come across Babylon, we come across Babylon in the book of Genesis. In Genesis, we have, after the flood, 
individuals who do not believe in the word of God, God said he would not send another flood to destroy the entire world. And he put the rainbow up in the sky as a constant reminder that whenever it rained, it would not be a worldwide flood. But in open rebellion against God, the Bible tells us that the people established the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel. That's where Babylon gets his name. Babel. Notice what we find in Genesis chapter 11, verse 4. This is what the people said who built the Tower of Babel. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. Notice at the very heart of Babylon is rebellion against God and it's all about me. Come, let us build ourselves a city. Let us make a name for ourselves. So it's all about me. King Nebuchadnezzar, thousands of years later, had this to say regarding Babylon. Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? Can you see that coming through? I my, me, it's all about me. That reminds us of the one who at the very beginning came up against God, the one who rebelled against God and his government of love, and that was Lucifer. You can read it in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, there where Lucifer says, I will rise and I will do this. I will ascend above the clouds. I will be like the Most High God. On five occasions, Lucifer says, I, 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 I will be like the Most High. So Babylon represents open rebellion against God. Secondly, Babylon represents a center of image worship. In Daniel chapter 3, we have King Nebuchadnezzar erecting an image made of gold, and all were commanded to worship this image. Except we have those three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were not willing to bow their knee before this image. That story in, Re- in Daniel chapter 3 reminds us of Revelation 13. And in Revelation 13, once again, there is an image that is erected. And we looked at this the last time we were together. An image that is that is erected. And this image in Revelation 13 uh, describes or illustrates or is a symbol for church and state that will unite to enforce religious worship, as was the case in Daniel chapter 3. Enforcing religious worship where the church will reach out to the state and ask the state to legislate worship. When church seeks the support and influence of the state in order to achieve its objectives, that, as we've discovered, is spiritual fornication, and that'll take place. So we have image worship. Thirdly, Babylon represents false teachings about death, and we've looked at this in the past. The Bible is very clear regarding the state of a person in death. There are many scriptures, and we've dealt with this subject in the past, but let me just simply share one scripture. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 5, we read these words. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. How much do the dead know? 
The Bible is clear. The dead know nothing. The Bible refers to death as a sleep, an unconscious sleep, where individuals await the resurrection of Jesus. The Bible is very clear. At death, the body goes back into the ground from where it came, and the breath of God goes back to God who gave it. That's how God created man at the very beginning of time. You'll remember reading that in Genesis. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 that God took the the dust of the earth and he breathed his breath into the nostrils of, of, of man and man became a living being. At death, the exact opposite happens. But today, throughout all of the major world religions, the teaching is that when you die, you don't literally die. Yes, your body goes into the grave and deteriorates and becomes part of the soil, but Your soul lives on forever and ever, either in hell or in heaven. Or some teach in purgatory, this in-between state. But the Bible clearly says that the dead know nothing. And so this teaching of the enemy, and ultimately Satan is the one behind this teaching. He is the one at the very beginning of time that shared that very first lie to Eve in the garden where God said, if you eat from this tree that I've told you not to eat, you will surely die. And the devil came along and said, no, you will not surely die. You cannot die. And so this teaching ultimately comes from Satan himself. And this teaching that when you die, you don't really die because your soul lives forever and ever, as I have pointed out, has permeated throughout all of the major world religions around the world. That's why the Bible says this cup that is filled with this wine, these abominations, these lies has been passed out to the whole world and the entire world has become drunk. And when you're drunk, you know what it's like when you're drunk. You don't know what you're doing. And the consequences are severe and horrendous for those that are on the receiving end of someone who is drunk. Well, let's continue on. Fourthly, Babylon's abominations represent worship that is held together by spiritualism. That is, Babylon is held together by spiritualistic worship. Now, what do I mean by that? I'll explain in just a moment. But in ancient Babylon, we have uh, spiritualism, that held that religious network together. The Bible tells us that Babylon, ancient Babylon, the time of Nebuchadnezzar, there were magicians. And what do magicians do? Well, they practice magic. Do we have magic today? Is is magic prominent today? Well, you know the answer to that. I don't need to tell you. The influence of Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and, and, and just so much out in the media, the movies, even the music, is, is, is permeated with magic and magic practices. It's just everywhere. Astrologers. There were astrologers in the time of Daniel. Is astrology prominent today? Absolutely. Astrologers. During the time of Daniel, they looked to the stars to predict the future. As well, they sought advice from supposed dead spirits. That ties in with the previous point regarding Babylon sharing false teachings about death. And that is today very, very prominent. Sorcerers. Now, what are sorcerers? Sorcerers, they cast magic spells. And that is 
that is everywhere today as well. And then there was the Chaldeans. That was the fourth group that, that Daniel mentions. And who were the Chaldeans? Well, they were the scholars or the theologians who laced their scholarship with spiritualistic phenomena and tied it all together. So guess who puts it all together in a beautiful package for, for, for the whole world to drink this intoxicating poison. It's the scholars, it's the theologians, it's the religious leaders. And that's what we find taking place today. Oh, I wish I had the time to share a lot more on this. Revelation 18.2 tells us that Babylon has become a dwelling place of demons. Revelation 13 tells us that he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven. Jesus in Matthew 24 Verse 24 told us that, that, that this end-time power would perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the very elect. Deception through spiritualism, deception through signs and wonders will be a key way that Satan will seek to deceive the whole world at the end of time. In fact, let me read to you Revelation chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. Notice, notice how Satan will seek to deceive the whole world at the end of time. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon. Here, yeah, this is a representative of Satan, the dragon, and also spiritualism and the signs and the wonders that he is able to do. Out of the mouth of the dragon, and I continue reading, out of the mouth of the beast, or that is the, the church of Rome, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. The false prophet is the same power as that lamb-like beast in Revelation 13, which we identified as the United States of America, or should I say apostate Protestantism. That is Protestantism that has fallen away from God's truth and, and working together with the Church of Rome and working together through spiritualism and, 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 the, and the spiritual phenomena and, and all the signs and the wonders and the miracles. And today there are preachers in the United States of America in particular that are preaching signs and wonders, seeking to perform miracles. There are healings taking place and not in harmony with how the Bible says we ought to conduct or seek God's healing and God's power. I could spend a lot more time on that, but I won't. But notice verse 14. For they are spirits of demons. Okay, so these, so these uh, unclean spirits like frogs that come out of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. They are spirits of demons performing, notice, performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. And that battle is the battle of Armageddon. So we have very clearly here spiritualism, signs, wonders, miracles that will be part of, of Satan's end time plan to deceive the whole world. Now, why does Satan use signs and wonders and miracles? Well, he knows that people would rather believe what they see and what they hear and what they can feel. They would rather put their faith and trust in their senses their five senses, rather than the Word of God. And he knows that when we veer away from the Word of God, then we will be deceived. You remember how Satan deceived Eve at the very beginning of time, that serpent who was more cunning, the Bible says? He deceived her by asking her to take a look at this tree, by asking her to look at the fruit and that it was desirable, it looked good. 
It would taste good. He invited her to look at this fruit through her eyes, through her senses, and and instead of going with the word of God to go with what her senses told her. And Satan knows that that worked not only with Eve, but that will work through every other single person who doesn't put their faith and trust in God. Now, why will so many be deceived at the end of time? The Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 to 12, that's that portion there where Paul is talking about this man of sin, this son of perdition, this man of lawlessness, speaking of this antichrist power. Notice these words in verses 9 to 12, powerful words from the Apostle Paul. He writes, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Now, why do they perish? Paul goes on, Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion, or God will allow them to believe strong delusion, that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but notice these final words, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So why will the vast majority at the end of time be deceived by the enemy, by Satan himself? It is because they did not love the truth. And what is the truth? The Bible tells us in John 17, 17, thy word is truth. God's word is truth. They did not love the truth of God according to his word. And so Satan will deceive them. Because you see, my friends, if you and I do not put our faith and trust in God's word, we are sitting ducks for the enemy to deceive us. Absolutely sitting ducks. So much more I could share on that. But we must press on for time is against us. Let's take a look at another abomination of Babylon. Number five, and that is that. Babylon tramples God's holy law, God's holy law, God's Ten Commandment law. In Daniel chapter 3, we have an image that is set up and all are commanded to worship this image. The second commandment very clearly prohibits the worship of images. Today, we not only have image worship in the Roman Catholic Church, We have it in the Orthodox Church, and we have it in many other world religions, worshipping idols or worshipping images. People have their idols in their homes. People may have their idols in their garages, their cars, or their homes, or their bank accounts, or their shares, or their whatever. An idol can be anything that you place before God, or something that represents God. And then we have in Daniel chapter 6, where true worship is prohibited. True worship is prohibited. Daniel was prohibited for 30 days to pray to the God of heaven. In Revelation chapter 17 and verse 4, here we have this woman described as arrayed in purple, scarlet, and adorned with gold. Purple, scarlet, and gold. If you take a look at the colors that the hierarchy in the Roman Catholic Church addressed in, you will discover gold, purple, and scarlet. The cardinals and um, the bishops, they wear gold, purple, and scarlet. Just take a look at some of the pictures there. Gold, purple, scarlet. Now, it's interesting. When you take a look at gold, purple, and scarlet, 
we discover that the priest during his the high priest amongst the people of Israel was also dressed in robes and um, his effort, this elaborate garment that the high priest wore, the Bible tells us, was woven from gold, blue, purple, and scarlet. Gold, purple, blue, and scarlet. Notice there is one color that the priest has that you don't find in the Church of Rome that is worn by those who are high in authority. And what was that color? That was blue. They have the purple, the scarlet, and the gold, but no blue. Now, what does blue represent? We don't have time to take a a look at this scripture. Um, In fact, I think we will take a look at this scripture. Well, the previous text, in case you were wondering where to find um, the attire of the high priest, is found in Exodus chapter 28 and verses 3 to 6. That's Exodus 28 verses 3 to 6. Now, in Numbers 15 verses 37 to 41, here we have what the blue represents, why the high priest was to wear blue. Notice these words. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, this is in Numbers 15, verses 37 to 41. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them, and that you may not follow the harlotry. Notice interesting language. The harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. Continue reading. And that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy for your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So what was the blue that the high priest was wearing? And what was the, the, the blue tassels that were to be placed on the corners of the garments of all the children of Israel? The blue every time. A citizen of Israel, every time a man, woman, or child was to take a look at their clothing, they would see the tassels, that blue on the on the on their garments, and that would remind them of the commandments of God, that they may remember all of God's Ten Commandments, and that they may remember to do all of God's Ten Commandments. Now, has the Church of Rome been faithful to all of God's Ten Commandments? Absolutely not. The second commandment. You won't find that in the catechism. That has been completely done away with. The one that deals with worshipping images and bowing down to them and making images, that's just been completely pulled out and and taken away, out of the way. And the 10th commandment has been divided into two in order that you still may have 10 commandments, supposedly. The fourth commandment has been also tampered with. Isn't that right? God says, remember the seventh day to keep it holy. But the church of Rome says, no, you will remember the first day of the week to keep it holy. And this brings us to our sixth point. Babylon represents sun worship. Babylon was a center for sun worship all the way. From earlier times, from the earliest times, the sun has been the preeminent God for the Babylonians, the sun God, uh, the God that provides light 
the God that provides life, the God that provides growth, and they would worship the sun God. In Ezekiel chapter 8, we don't have time to read that chapter, but I'd encourage you to do that sometime. In Ezekiel chapter 8, we have a description of the abominations that were taking place amongst God's people, in fact, in the temple of God. And there in Ezekiel 8, verses 15 to 18, you'll discover the greatest abomination, the greatest abomination. And God says his people, the priests, about 25 men, with their backs toward the temple, the Bible says, and their faces toward the east, worshiping the sun. God's priests, that's right, God's priests in the temple of God during the time of Ezekiel were worshiping the sun God. And in chapter 9, we have a mark that is placed upon God's people, God's faithful people who sighed and cried because of what was going on in Israel. And they are spared at the end of time. And they were spared during the time of Ezekiel. And those who did not have this mark of God, sadly, they were destroyed. That, that reminds us of the, of the seal of God and the mark of the beast issue in Revelation. Sun worship has come into the Christian church. Sadly, today, there are many who do not know, many who do not realize that they are in Babylon. But my friend, today God is calling you. Just as God prepared Noah before the flood and through Noah, he invited the world to come and be saved in the ark. Just as God sent two angels to rescue Lot and his family from Sodom before he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah with fire. So too God is seeking to rescue you. God is saying, come out of Babylon, my people. Are you in a church? Are you part of a religious institution that is not following God and his word and his truth? Are you in a church that worship on Sunday? If you are you're in Babylon, my friend, and God is inviting you to come out of Babylon. Jesus loves you, and he says, come out of her, my people. He refers to you as his people. You're his people. Are you in a church that teaches that which is false regarding death? God invites you to come out. God is inviting you to stand for the truth. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. They follow me. Why not follow Jesus? Why not give your heart and life to Jesus? Well, if you come out of Babylon, where to now? Where to now in our next and final episode in this series, Search for Certainty, we will discover the place where Christ will lead his sheep, the sheep that hear his voice and follow him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing to us what Babylon is and, and more importantly, inviting us to come out of Babylon. You want us to follow your truth, dear Lord, and we pray that we'll be truthful and faithful to you. Guide us and bless us as we seek to follow your truth, Lord. We want to stand firm to your word Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.